Well, good morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to be finishing up Acts chapter 15. Finishing up Acts chapter 15. The initial plan was to go a little bit further than that, but uh, you know me and how I can take something that you would think wouldn't take too long and uh, end up uh, going a little longer than uh, might be expected. So we're only going to be finishing up Acts chapter 15. I think there's a lot of valuable stuff that we can see just at the end of this chapter, stuff that we can uh, learn for our own, uh, our own ministry here on this earth and things that we can learn about the Apostle Paul, the early church, and all kinds of various things. There's one thing that I really appreciate about the church is that within the church there are never any conflicts, there is always perfect harmony, and we all always get along. And you're laughing because you know just as well as I do that that is not always the case. Uh, yes, we are a people who have been called out, we've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's not always perfect unity that we have here on this earth. Yes, we do have peace with God. Yes, we will spend eternity uh, with one another in perfect harmony. But here in this earth, there are conflicts, there are divisions, there are disagreements, things that drive us apart. And uh, there are a few things more unpleasant, especially in ministry, than when two people or two groups of people have irreconcilable differences with one another. And we may not have a person that comes to mind uh, as far as a person that we ourselves are irreconcilable with, but we have seen this before. If we've been in the church long enough, we have seen brothers in Christ who normally would have everything in common differ on one thing, and it causes a, an almost insurmountable rift between them. It's... Uh, all the more unpleasant when that division isn't over a theological disagreement, but a personal disagreement. It's one thing to have differences on various aspects of theology. That's why there are various local churches that will believe various different things. It's one thing to have those differences and be able to say, okay, we can agree to disagree and continue on the work of ministry. It's an entirely other thing where you might have complete agreement with someone on their theology, on what they believe about God, but have a disagreement over a some personal issue. Uh, it is really sad to see that. It's an unpleasant reality, and it's not a new reality either. This is something that the church has faced and, and gone through from the very beginning. One of the amazing things about Scripture is that when we read about the heroes that we find in the Bible, we do not see heroes uh, larger than life who can do no wrong. What we see are people, human beings just like us, used mightily by God to do any number of various things, but Scripture doesn't gloss over some of the warts, some of the imperfections, some of the uh, negatives that we find about these characters. Life is messy. We as human beings are messy people, and Scripture presents that God's people are still messy people, and that there are fights, and that there are indifferences that divide. That have, and uh, that's happens, it happens today, and it even happened back in the early church. So I want to read our passage. We're going to be reading in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36. 
And then uh, we'll pray, and then we'll get into the message. So Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Our Father, we do thank you for the word that you have given us. We thank you for the accurate history, even though we see that among God's people, it isn't always going to be perfect. We thank you uh, that your grace does overcome all of the imperfections that we have, and that even in looking at an account such as this, there are things that we can learn from it and apply to our own lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray that he would be among us, giving us understanding and guidance as we read and consider your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're catching up to the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. They are in the church of Antioch, and this is right after, well, not right after, it's some days after the council that was in Jerusalem. And we remember this council. It was a great time of the church coming together, establishing once and for all salvation is by faith alone, that there is nothing that you can do to add to it, that we're not going to impose the Mosaic law on Gentiles now coming to the faith, but they can freely enter into the faith through what Jesus has done. So we remember this, and both Paul and Barnabas were present at the Council of Jerusalem, and they then returned to Antioch, which was their home church, right? Paul and Barnabas were missionaries. They spent a lot of time abroad, but even as missionaries, they had a home church. They had a local church. They had a place that they would go back to in order to minister in and be ministered to, and this was the church of Antioch. And after some days, verse 36 Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So as they're in Antioch, Paul has the idea that they need to go back and visit all the churches that had been established during that first missionary journey. So they're planning out the second missionary journey, and the second journey was not only planned to take the gospel to new lands, but this was a missionary journey that also uh, had the plan to go and encourage the churches that were already established. As ministers of God, uh, Paul recognized that they not only had the responsibility to share the gospel to people who haven't heard it, but they also had the responsibility to minister to, to the church, to local churches. In fact, I would even argue that the most important ministry of a minister of God is not to the lost, but rather it is to the church, those who are within the church. Yes, we need to have a heart for the lost. Yes, we need to go out and share the gospel among all nations. But 
we need to have a ministry and a focus and a love for the local church. And we see that with Paul. It's his desire to go back and visit those that he had uh, already established in the faith. And we see throughout the New Testament Paul's continual desire to minister to God's people. Paul always wants to go and visit those of the faith, those in the various cities where he had established churches. When Paul was first uh, sought out for ministry by Barnabas, we remember uh, Paul was in, uh, uh, Paul, uh, after he had been converted, he had gone away for a time and the church of Antioch was established and Barnabas sought Paul out to help him minister to the newly formed church of Antioch. And Paul was very happy to do so, to go to this church of Antioch, a church that he did not establish, but to minister to them. We read of this in Acts chapter 11, and uh, you don't have to turn here, I'll just read it, where we read that the news about them, about uh, the church of Antioch, uh, reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. When they arrived, they witnessed the grace of God, and he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and there were considerable numbers brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas left for Tarsus to look for Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So one of the very first ministries we see Paul doing is not going out uh, to into the to the world to look for the lost, but rather to come to this newly formed church in order to teach them, in order to build them up. During Paul's first missionary journey, we see this desire as well, where after they had visited their last place, they did not simply just return home, but rather they traveled back, going to all the cities that they had already brought the gospel to and ministering to them uh, and helping to establish them in the faith. Later on in the book of Acts, when we see them going on their third missionary journey, we see that, again, the very fir- one of the first places they go is to the Galatian region, a place that they had already been several times in order to continue ministering to these churches. Throughout Paul's letters, we see his desire to continue his ministry among the churches that he was writing to. Philippians, for example, uh, the Apostle Paul tells them, God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. To the Thessalonians, he says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think, uh, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. So Paul is writing to them, we know that you want to see us and we want to see you as well. Even to churches that Paul had no part in establishing, even to churches that he had never even met, uh, such as the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul is eager, he is anxious to go and visit the brethren in Rome so that he can share the gospel with them. And he says this in his letter, I don't want you unaware, brethren, that I've often planned to come to you and have prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit from among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So here's an important principle that we can draw from this. As important as it is to have a heart for the lost, the affection of the Christian, the affection of those who are in ministry, needs to be 
uh, the most strong for the people of God. The affection that we have should be the most strong for the people of God. And we see that exemplified in the Apostle Paul, where they're getting ready for another missionary journey, where they're going to visit new lands, but the first thing on Paul's mind is, let us return to the brethren in every city which we proclaimed the word of the Lord, and let us see how they are. If we, uh, we love the idea of missions and going out to do the work of God, but the love for God's people needs to be something stronger. If we have this desire to go out and reach the lost and share the gospel with people, but we have no desire to be in ministry in the local church, if we have no desire to minister to those whom God has placed us in, there's something off with us. We've, we might have even heard this sentiment uh, from some people. We've heard things like, well, I love Jesus, but uh, I sure don't care for the, the people who follow him, right? We might have, we've probably heard this before. Well, if that's our attitude, then something's off. It is the Christian's love for one another that separates us from the world. Our affections for one another have been supernaturally changed so that we would love one another, and uh, as I said, that's what marks us out from the rest of the world. Yes, we have a love for the lost. Yes, we have a love for those outside of our community. But the love for those within the community should be that much stronger. In John chapter 13, we read Jesus say this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So yes, love for the lost. Yes, need it, essential. But love for one another, so much more essential, and what sets us apart from the world. A love and a desire to minister to those within the body of Christ. In 1 John, John writes this, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The love for the brethren needs to be that strong. Jesus says, I love you, my people. I will lay my life down for you, and therefore, this is the example that I'm setting for you. John, uh, in 1 John, later on says this, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Christians, we are set apart by our love for one another. And we see this very early on with Paul's desire to go out and minister to each other. Another principle that we can draw from this is that Paul was less interested in creating converts than he was in making disciples. He was less interested in creating mere converts than he was in making disciples. And there's a distinction. Uh, Jesus did not command us to simply call on people to make a profession of faith and then leave it. Yes, there does need to be profession of faith. I'm not saying that we uh, discourage that or anything. But what Jesus commanded us to do is not 
to simply call on people to make a profession of faith, but rather to call people to follow him as disciples. This is uh, what Jesus told his followers uh, just before he ascended into heaven. He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. We are to make disciples. It's not enough to simply hold an altar call, get as many people up to, up to the front as we can, and then leave it at that. That's not what the Apostle Paul did, and that's not what we are to do either. We are to make disciples. That means we are to be building into, uh, pouring into those who have come and believed. The Apostle Paul didn't just have an altar call in every city and then leave. Again, not saying that that's wrong to have an altar call or uh, call people to faith or anything like that, but if it, it can't just stop there, right? It can't just stop there. They made disciples, and the work of discipleship is not just a one-time act. The work of discipleship is not just a one-time act, and this is why Paul and Barnabas traveled back through the cities that they had already evangelized and were now making plans to go back again, to continue this work of discipleship. There are followers of Christ who are growing and who need to be discipled. Therefore, let us go back and continue to disciple them. In Acts chapter 14, we read that uh, towards the end of their journey, after they had preached the gospel to the last city and made many disciples, they then returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, places that they had already been, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So they continued to teach them. They continued to strengthen them. They continued to warn them of the things that were going to come. That's all part of discipleship, continuing to come alongside someone to teach them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. And this leads to an important application for us, a challenge for us even. And uh, if you have steel-toed shoes on, you might be in luck because I may be stepping on some toes here. And it's a very necessary thing to do, I think. Discipleship takes place within the body of Christ through the relationships that we have with one another. If we are disciples of Christ, then we either will be discipling someone, we ourselves will be being discipled, or a combination of the two. Christians will not just be at a standstill. We will be continuing to grow, and we must continue to grow. Otherwise, we're just going to be standing still. How long uh, or how are we being discipled or how are we discipling others? Are we seeking to be discipled or to disciple others? And that's a challenge. When we think about our Christian lives, we think, you know, reading the Bible, yes, great. Going to church, yes, great. Praying, yes, great. Uh, doing your best to uh, live a, a life that is faithful to God, and that is a great thing, yes. But what are we called to do? We're called to make disciples. What does that look like in our lives? Well, there are many of us here who have been in the Lord for a great amount of time, who have a great amount of knowledge and experience that can be used to build up those who are less mature in the faith. 
Do we take the opportunities that we have to reach out to those who may not have that and try to pass that along to them? There are others also in here who recognize that we've still got a lot of growing to do. And that is all of us. We all have a long ways to grow. Uh, Human beings were designed to live forever. We only get uh, 80, 90 short years here on this earth. We aren't going to make it in our lifespan, so we all have further to grow. But are we taking advantage of those who have that experience, and are we saying to them, what can, are we saying to ourselves, what can I learn from them? How can I maybe come alongside and uh, be fed by this person? And the point in all of this is this. If we're going to take what Jesus says about being and making disciples seriously, then Let's look for opportunities within our own church to carry out these commandments. We hear the great commission of going out and making disciples, and automatically our minds go to different cities, different states, different continents, going out into all the world. Well, guess what? To make disciples, to continue to build disciples, we don't need to go any further than the people here in this room. Now, there is a challenge, right? Anyway, we'll continue on. There's verse (laughs) 1. The rest of the verses won't take quite that long, but uh, I saw that, and it was, a, it was challenging to me, and I think we need to be challenged by this. Where is our love? Where is our affection? Is it for one another? And then our, how are we uh, showing that? How are we using the gifts that God has given us to help build one another up? So, back to Paul and Barnabas. This is the desire of Paul. Let's go back Let's go back and continue uh, building these brethren up. Let's visit these brethren. Let's see how how they are doing. And Barnabas said, yes, that's great. I can't wait to go. Let's bring Mark along with us. So uh, let's think of the duo of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, right? This is who we've been following for a little bit of time now. The narrative shifted from Peter in the church of Jerusalem to Paul in the church of Antioch, and so far, pretty much everywhere that Paul has been, Barnabas has been right along with him, right? First, we're looking at Peter and John. We saw them in the first two, uh, first few chapters, and now the narrative has been following Paul and Barnabas. They're inseparable, the two. Who would be a better duo to revisit these churches that were established by Paul and Barnabas than Paul and Barnabas? They'd been together almost since the very beginning of Paul's ministry, Remember, it was Barnabas who stood up for Saul when he first arrived in Jerusalem. Remember, everyone was afraid of him because that's the guy who persecutes the church. That's the guy who stood there watching over the coats as Stephen was being stoned. I'm, I'm staying away from that guy. But who was it that said, you know what? I believe him. Let's give him a chance. I'm going to come alongside him and I'm going to introduce him to you. That was Barnabas. Barnabas was the one who stood up for the Apostle Paul in the church of Jerusalem when everyone else was afraid of him. Barnabas was the one who sought out the Apostle Paul when uh, he was sent to the church of Antioch. Barnabas recognized, oh, my hands are full here. Got a lot of new, fresh believers uh, coming from a Gentile background, who, and I can't handle this myself. But guess what? I know someone who can help me out with this, and that's Paul. I'm going to go find Paul and bring him here to help me in this work. When there was a famine in the land, it was Barnabas and Paul who were set apart to bring aid from the church of Antioch to the church of Jerusalem. It was Barnabas and Paul together 
who were called and sent on the first missionary journey. And they brought the gospel to all those cities and along the way faced numerous trials and dangers and challenges. It was Paul and Barnabas who defended the integrity of the gospel against the Judaizers in Antioch. Remember the people who came in Antioch saying, you must be circumcised to be saved. Who was it that stood up the most firmly? Paul and Barnabas. There they were. They're the ones who traveled together to Jerusalem to testify of the signs and wonders that God did through the both of them among the Gentiles. In the letter from the church of Jerusalem, it was Paul and Barnabas who were noted as men who had risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when it came time to revisit these churches, the obvious choice to go was Barnabas and Paul. So they're getting ready to depart. They have, Paul has this great idea to go revisit the churches. Barnabas says, yes, that's great. I can't wait to go. But I want to bring along my cousin, Mark, with us. Now, we had met Mark earlier in the book of Acts. He was a relative of Barnabas, perhaps a cousin of his, the son of a woman named Mary, and it was her house where the saints gathered and were praying for Peter when he was imprisoned. Mark had also joined Paul and Barnabas for part of their first missionary journey. And Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along uh, on this second journey as well. Uh, Mark, as we find him here in the church of Antioch, the last time we left Mark, he had left Paul and Barnabas in the mission field, and he had traveled back to the church of Jerusalem. But he made his way up to Antioch. Perhaps he had even traveled with Paul and Barnabas. And perhaps Mark was even taking part in the work that was to be done in Antioch. I can't imagine any other reason why he uh, would be there, right? So he's in Antioch, and he's probably working alongside Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas says, all right, we're going for the journey. Mark, let's come, uh, Mark's coming along with us. But this led to a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Let's try to understand both sides because there are both sides. There are both sides to everything, right? On the one hand, let's look at Barnabas. Barnabas likely wanted for there to be some kind of redemption for Mark, for him to prove himself useful for the work of ministry, to uh, succeed where previously he had failed. And like I said, Mark was in Antioch, so it's likely that Mark was already working alongside Paul and Barnabas in some capacity. But on the other hand, we look at where we last saw Mark. Mark had fallen away from the mission. He'd proven himself unreliable on that first missionary journey. And the Apostle Paul, knowing the importance of the work that was ahead of them, likely didn't want to risk that outcome. And that's what we see. Paul kept insisting that they should not take the one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work in which they were set apart to do. Now, the word translated deserted here is apostanta, apostanta, where we get the word apostate from that. 
This is a word that's also used to describe someone who falls away or departs from the faith. Jesus uh, says that, uh, uh, speaking of the seeds that fall under rocky soil, he says that they believe for a while, but in the time of temptation, they fall away. Similarly, Jesus says, I tell you, uh, you do not, uh, speaking to those who would come to him, he says, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me using that very same word. Now, I'm not saying that Mark literally abandoned the faith or anything, but to apostatize, to leave in such a way, this isn't a, uh, a cordial parting. No, this is a complete abandonment of the work in which they were set apart to do. He had abandoned his two co-workers when they were doing the important work of sharing the gospel. It's not that Mark just simply went up to them and said, hey, guys, uh, put in a lot of work for you, but things are, you know, kind of got to get back home. Things are getting busy. Can I request the rest of the year off? <laughs> it's not that uh, Barnabas had, or it's not that Mark had simply put his two weeks in, said, well, glad I could help you out for a little while, uh, but I need to get back home to Jerusalem. No, this was a no call, no show. Mark is gone. He's abandoned us. This was not a good look. So I don't want to take away from the seriousness of what Mark had done. Abandoning Paul and Barnabas, who were enduring the hardships of the mission of sharing the gospel of Christ and returning to the comforts of his home in Jerusalem. And now it was this man, this man who had abandoned them, that Barnabas wanted to bring along for the important work of discipling the saints, of strengthening the saints, and Paul would not have it. And this led to a sharp, a irreconcilable division, which led to them going their own ways. The word translated sharp disagreement is paroxysmus, and from which we get the word paroxysm. Who's heard, of, heard the word paroxysm? Anyone? Uh, it, a paroxysm is a sudden, violent outburst of emotion. It can also be used to describe uh, the onsetting of a, uh, a sickness. So this was not a calm, agree-to-disagree discussion. The division that was between them was explosive. There was a sharp outbursting of division that cut these two men apart who were previously inseparable. And that's what it says. There occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And again, this is not a peaceful, okay, uh, you know, we're both, we'll, we'll both continue at the work, but you know, we'll, you go this way, I'll go that. No, this is a Division. The only other time we see uh, the word here uh, separated is in Revelation, where it's describing how the heavens were completely separated, describing an apocalyptic event. No, these two split. One went one way, one went the other way. And the division led to Barnabas and Mark traveling to Cyprus. Now, this uh, makes sense. Remember, Cyprus was one of the places that they had gone. So it's not that Barnabas is simply saying, ah, I'm not taking part of the work. No, Barnabas still wants to do the work. But because of the irreconcilable difference between them over the issue of Mark, 
And you have to feel bad for Mark, right? Uh, have you ever, you might remember when you were younger, have your parents ever had an argument about you specifically? <laughs> I, I, I have to imagine Mark was in a similar place, uh, him kind of sitting timidly in the corner as Paul and Barnabas are yelling at each other, waving their arms over, no, we're not taking him. He abandoned us. No, come on, let's give him a chance. What are we talking about? And Mark just sitting there. Uh, I, I don't know what it looked like. I wasn't there. But I, it wouldn't have been a comfortable position being the center of such a dispute that these two men who had been together for years could not find any reconciliation with one another and ended up going their own separate ways. So Barnabas, his heart's still in the right place. He still wants to do the very thing that Paul suggested and return to the brethren in every city in order to strengthen them. And he does that. So Paul and Bar- so uh, Barnabas and Mark then set sail for Cyprus. And Cyprus was the, the big island uh, where they had first visited. Cyprus, if you'll remember, is where Barnabas was from. Uh, Mark was with them during their journey to Cyprus. So uh, it seems natural that uh, they would go to Cyprus. And uh, because they went to Cyprus, we see that Paul doesn't see the need to travel there. So uh, they travel on to Cyprus, and this is the last time that we see either Barnabas or Mark in the book of Acts as the narrative continues to follow the Apostle Paul. So not a pretty end it would seem. But we know from the rest of Scripture that this isn't the end of the friendship that they had. This isn't the end of the unity. This isn't the end of the story of Mark the deserter either. We can look and see uh, later on in 1 Corinthians where Barnabas is mentioned by the Apostle Paul. And Corinthians was written after this. So, and Barnabas is mentioned in favorable light. So, Uh, Though they didn't leave on good terms, Paul mentions Barnabas and he mentions him favorably. So it seems, whether Barnabas was in the right or in the wrong, uh, Paul does not take what happened between them into account. So Paul, yes, there was a sharp disagreement, but Paul was not going to allow that to uh, cause him to say, Barnabas, don't want anything to do with that guy. He was wrong on this issue. Therefore, he's wrong on everything. No, that's, that's not the case at all. We see that Paul shows uh, love, affection, and respect for Barnabas even after this disagreement. And it really does exemplify what he taught the Corinthians about love, about love enduring all things and not taking wrong suffered into account. And that's the reality. We can have disagreements with one another. They can be sharp disagreements, but we shouldn't let those disagreements take away from the love, the natural affection that we should have for one another. So this is the last time we see Barnabas in the book of Acts. This is also the last time we hear about Mark in the book of Acts, though this is not the last time that we hear of him. Mark, of course, as we know, is the author of the gospel according to Mark. So how about that? You go from a deserter, abandoning the mission field and spreading the gospel to literally having the book of the gospel that has reached more people than anyone in here has ever reached or will be able to reach. Isn't that incredible? 
Mark likely got the information to write this gospel from Peter, whom Mark became very closely associated with at one point. In Peter's writings, Peter, uh, we don't have to turn here, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, as Peter is sending his final greetings, he says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. He's talking about the very same John Mark. Now, he's not literally Peter's son, but this is my son in the faith. This is a man who I've taken under my wing, whom I consider valuable. And, I'm, and he sends you greetings. So Mark, we see, became very closely associated with Peter, which explains why Mark, even though he was not an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus, is able to write, give us a gospel, because of what he learned from this relationship with Peter. And we also know that Paul and Mark are also eventually reconciled, and that Mark even ministers to Paul during his imprisonment in Rome. So this is the last time we see Mark in Acts, but we see that Paul, in his letter to Philemon, writes this. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. And Paul, as he's writing this, he's in prison. When we end the book of Acts, we end with Paul being in Rome. And it's during this imprisonment in Rome that he's writing this. So while he's in Rome, at some point, Mark comes and ministers to Paul while he's in prison. And what a a shocking, pleasant surprise that must have been for the Apostle Paul. As he's sitting in prison, likely not even thinking about Mark at all, uh, has no thought towards him, and all of a sudden, who's coming and visiting him, ministering him, perhaps even bringing him food? By golly, it's John Mark. What are you doing this far away from Jerusalem all the way in Rome? You were afraid to travel uh, even in uh, Asia Minor, uh, even to Galatia. And Rome is much further away than, uh, than those regions. Wow, what a blessing that must have been for the Apostle Paul during his imprisonment for Mark to come and begin to minister to him. In Colossians, he writes this. He says uh, to the Colossian church, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas's cousin, Mark. And you've received instructions about Mark. If he comes to you, welcome him. So we see these warm feelings that Paul has towards Mark. And finally, during the imprisonment that would ultimately result in his martyrdom, so not the imprisonment that we find in the book of Acts, but another imprisonment later on, the one under Nero where Paul would eventually be beheaded in the city of Rome, Paul is writing this, and this is his last letter. These are some of the last words we have from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy, and he says, Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And remember, Demas was the one who had traveled with him. He mentions Demas and Philemon, but now Demas, he's gone. He's abandoned me. He loved the present world. He went away to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Timothy, please, come to me soon. Only Luke is with me. And when you come, pick up Mark and bring him with you. 
for he is useful to me for service. Wow, what a change. What an amazing thing that God does. We see Mark, someone who rightly considered by Paul at one point to be useless. But now, some of his very last words, who does he want to see? I want to see Mark. Bring him. He is useful to me for my service. So that's where we leave off with Paul and Barnabas, and, or uh, with uh, Mark and Barnabas, and we also see that Paul also goes his own way as well. Uh, verse 40, Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Silas, as you remember, was from the church of Jerusalem. He had traveled with them to Antioch in order to uh, help deliver this letter from the council. Silas was called a prophet, and we see that he greatly encouraged the brethren at Antioch with a lengthy message. So there's a number of things that make Silas the obvious choice. Silas is a teacher. He's already doing the work of ministry in Antioch. And God, when he calls someone to work, he doesn't pick people who aren't working. He picks people who are already at work, right? So he takes Paul and Barnabas uh, in the first missionary journey, people who are already doing the work of ministry and sends them to further work. And now Silas, who's already doing the work of teaching and exhorting the brethren, uh, Silas then goes with Paul. So he's already engaged in the ministry. Uh, Part of the work that would be done on this journey is sharing what had happened at, uh, at Jerusalem that we already read about and delivering that letter to the churches. That's, that was part of Silas's job. That's why he was there. And because that was going to be part of the work that Paul would be doing, Silas was the obvious choice to go with them. Silas was a Jew, which not only gave him knowledge of the scriptures, but also an easy door for ministering to the Jews. Remember, what was the first thing that Paul would do when he arrived at the city? He would go to the synagogue and share the good news of the Messiah with his Jew brethren. Silas was also a Roman citizen. Uh, This would have opened the door to the Gentiles and would also provide special rights and privileges that came with Roman citizenship, including protection from unjust imprisonment and punishment. So here we have this new duo, Paul and Silas. They're committed by the brethren to go out. And they begin their journey and they traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches along the way. So, uh, in conclusion, what can we learn from this passage of Scripture? What can we learn from these events? Well, one, we see the importance of discipleship, how we're here to be disciples and make disciples. That was Paul's priority, to make disciples. And making a disciple isn't just a one-time thing. It is a continuous work that needs to be done. That's why Paul is so eager to continue visiting these churches that had already been established so he can build up the disciples. While we cannot overstate the importance of reaching the lost for Christ, we who are part of the body of Christ, uh, those who are part of the body of Christ should be our ultimate priority. Discipleship is something that is done within the local church. We don't need to go any further than this building to carry out the work of discipleship with one another. Who is our mission field for discipleship? Well, yes, by extension, everyone out there, but primarily everyone in here. So, uh, 
Uh, and discipleship really is not a difficult task. It doesn't take much to find someone, to meet with them on a semi-regular basis in order to encourage one another in the things of the Lord. I don't need to fill out an application to become someone's disciple or to begin discipling someone. All it takes is coming alongside and saying, hey, let's find some time. Let's get together. Let's discuss the things of the Lord. And that's something I want to encourage people in here to do. Let's build one another up as disciples of Christ. There's a number of things that we can also learn from the fallout surrounding John Mark. One thing, it's important to have the right people for the job in the work of ministry. And it's also important to know when someone isn't cut out for a particular work. It's not because Paul had some kind of grudge or ill will towards Mark that he wanted to leave him. No, Paul didn't believe that Mark was right for the job. And Mark had proven that. There's a lot of people out there doing jobs that they shouldn't be doing. And that's just the reality. It doesn't say anything negative about them. The reality is we aren't built to do everything. Therefore, there are some things that we just shouldn't be doing. And this is especially true in the work of ministry. We're not all, uh, and it doesn't do anyone any good to allow unqualified people to continue doing a work that they aren't competent to do. And it will only hinder the task that is at hand. So that's something we need to learn. Something else is that even if someone does prove themselves unreliable at one point, it doesn't mean that they can't be used of God in the future. The good news of the gospel is we're not only restored to a right relationship with God, but through sanctification, our our, our earthly divisions can also be restored as well. Uh, One of the greatest passages that we all love is the restoration of Peter, who, though he proved himself incompetent, was later restored to his former position. Though Mark, at one point, seemed to be a pretty worthless fellow, God was still able to use him in the work of spreading the good news, and he indeed did prove himself to be useful for ministry. And then a third thing, we can learn and see how God is able to use even the divisions in churches and relationships for good. Splits are not always pretty, but that doesn't mean that they cannot be used by God for the furtherance of our mission. Paul and Barnabas, we look at them, the two might not have left on the best terms, but out of Antioch came not just one team, but two. The split led to a doubling of the work that God was able to do through them. Satan was trying his hardest to dissolve this unity uh, between the duo of Paul and Barnabas, and all he ended up with was uh, twice the work uh, uh, that God was able to do through them. And this is even true of splits in our day. It may not be, uh, it may be easy to harbor feelings of animosity and things like that. Uh, we also need to keep in mind that two churches that were one church are still churches, and those churches are still being used by God for the work that is here on this earth. So therefore, uh, we can still love one another, uh, even despite our differences, and we can all still be used by God to carry out the work that he's doing with us. So with that being said, we can close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for the time that we've had to look at uh, this division that took place between Paul and Mark and everything surrounding that. 
to, to learn from your word. Uh, there's so many things that we can learn and apply to our own lives, to our own ministries here. I pray that your spirit would uh, do a work in our hearts. It would cause us to be convicted by this, uh, that we would have the heart that Paul and Barnabas had to return and minister to the brethren whom we know. I pray that you would use us to do that. I pray that even in uh, divisions and quarrels, you are at work and that you would uh, ultimately work those out for the furtherance of the gospel. We pray that you'd be with us this week as we go out, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.